Hola, welcome back to another great episode of Diferente. I'm so excited about all of the support and all of the reviews that we have received so far. They're very encouraging, and I really appreciate that you continue to listen, continue to tune in every week. But also, I want to ask you a very special favor. Please, 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 please share Diferente with a friend, family member, frenemy, ex-girlfriend, teacher, whatever, whoever you think will benefit or love our content please share it with them because that's one of the best ways to get people to tune in and listen and also join us on this amazing journey that we've started together. So post a link to Diferente on your social media profile, or you can also text it to someone. You can text the whole show to them, or you can text just this episode if that's what you want. It's so easy to share the love and share the show with other people. And it makes such a big difference. Thank you again for your support. And now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Diferente. In this episode, we discuss the impact of Latinx culture in the media with my favorite California girl, Natasha Martinez. Chatting with Natasha is like popping a confetti cannon. Her energy just gets all over you and you can't help but smile. We talk lessons in confidence, being a feminist, and the importance of believing in yourself. Natasha also shares her experiences as being Miss California and the expectations of Latinas in media, how she's trained her emotional muscles to deal with trolling, haters, and other life challenges. In other words, we have a lot of good stuff here. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life. And it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Hola, Natasha. Welcome to Diferente. Oh, hola. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you so much for making time to do this show. I know that you're a very busy woman. So let's get right to it. I want to tell everyone how we met. I interviewed you for a show that I was a producer on. And somehow we bonded over our dating lives. Do you remember? I do remember. We like grabbed some coffee and just like career conversation just turn into boys as it usually does <laughs> with friends. So I remember while we were getting that coffee, you nonchalantly like mentioned that you were Miss California. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. What um, year was that? That was in 2015. So I guess there's our timestamp right there. So it was three years ago. And Miss California was a huge dream of mine that I had been working for years for. I think most people think like, someone who would win Miss California would just like walk on the stage and win because she's so amazing. But like, it took me four years before I actually won. So when I finally won, that prize was just so sweet. So it doesn't surprise me that I would just be like blabbing it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, you weren't, you were very humble about it. I remember because it was so nonchalant. You were just (laughs) like, oh yeah, I was Miss California. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, well, okay then. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we we also bonded over our heritage a little, right? We're both Latinas. Tell us about your family. What was your childhood like? I am so fortunate to say that my childhood was 
I mean, of course, everyone has their ups and downs, but I think in the grand scheme of things, I had a very blessed childhood. And I know when people say the word blessed, like sometimes eyes will start rolling because like on Instagram, everyone's blessed, right? But I think (laughs) the reason why is because my parents, they just, they worked so hard for me and my two brothers. And again, like you said, like I have a Latin background. So my mom is from Nicaragua. She immigrated here when she was 12 with her parents and her sister. And then my dad is of Mexican descent. So he was born in Los Angeles, but his grandparents are from Guadalajara, Mexico. So my dad grew up in East LA, which is not the best place to grow up. And my mom, of course, as an immigrant, had her own experience. So I think that my parents just, they worked extremely hard to be able to send me and my brothers to art classes and for me ballet classes piano classes private school I mean things that now in like today's world that I think of I'm like oh my god I don't even know how much I don't know how I'm gonna make that much money you know like it's it's difficult and so the fact that my parents did that for me and my brothers I'm just forever grateful so um and they've always been supportive in anything that I ever choose to do so I think like I always try and and live my life to, to make them proud and give back and to be able to work hard so that I can do the same thing for my family in the future. Right. And don't we all want to just make our family proud? I think that's such a Latina or Latinx thing to do. Uh, what did your family say when you told them you wanted to be in a pageant? Well, it's funny because I never actually wanted to do it. It just sort of happened as most things that end up being meant for you happen, I feel like. So I grew up dancing since I was five years old. And for the longest time, I thought that that was what I wanted to do for my career. Randomly in high school, one of my other friends who is Costa Rican, and of course, I mean, I don't know if some of the listeners know, but pageants are huge in Latin America. It's like a big deal. So my friend's mom was just like, you are going to be in a beauty pageant and you're going to love it. And like, (laughs) she hated it, which I think she actually did. Like pageants were not for her, but her mom basically forced her to do this local Costa Rican pageant. And I went to go support her. So my mom and I went to go watch the show. And one of the choreographers who did like all the runway choreography, he had a background in commercial dance. So he approached me as well as one of the judges on the panel who had her own local pageant and they approached me to compete. And I just thought I would do it so that I could sort of get in with this choreographer who can maybe give me some tips on how to get into the dance industry. And then before you knew it, it was pageant weekend or pageant week. I spent a whole week getting prepped for this pageant and I ended up winning. And then so goes the snowball effect. I like I, the crown was like put on my head and it sounds like so ridiculous, but I like stood taller and I felt like I had this new responsibility, like Spider-Man, you know, like <laughs> I just <laughs> I was like, wow, like my life has changed. And I realized that, you know, I never thought of myself as someone who could achieve that sort of status. I, you know, I was never the best in dance. I was never like really the best in school. I wasn't ever the best in anything. And so for the fact that I like did this being myself, which was, I think the key ingredient and to be sort of recognized for that, it made me believe in myself. And so I kind of wanted to keep doing that. And I, I did that through pageants and I think it worked out for me. 
That's amazing. That is such an amazing story and so inspiring to hear your side of what your experience was like, because I think a lot of people just kind of look at pageants as something that's cutthroat, you know, like Miss Congeniality was made yeah. it out to seem. <laughs> Tell me like for real truth. Was it cutthroat? I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like Miss Congeniality is pretty accurate at some times. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's, it's difficult, but I think the difference for me is that I just wanted it so bad and it wasn't for like, I want to be the best. Like I want to be the most beautiful girl. Like it was not that it was more so again for me to like prove to myself that like I have the opportunity that anybody else would have, you know, like I can go for my dreams through working hard. And through just believing in myself, because it, it, it is really hard as a young woman, especially with social media going on to look at other people and look at things that maybe aren't real or are like the highlight reel and think, oh God, like I could never have that. So I really wanted to counteract that self-esteem issue and just say like, okay, like I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to train and I'm going to earn this title. I think that with the cutthroat aspect of it, I never really thought about it because it was more personal. And I know that that's not the experience for everybody. Like you could talk to another pageant girl and she could probably tell you a story about how somebody ripped her dress before who went on stage, you know, everyone has their own experience. And so for me, I was pretty lucky that I was able to just have tunnel vision and just focus on me. And it wasn't always easy. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there were times when I would feel just insecure about if I was pretty enough or like if I was smart enough or, you know, like all the things that us girls like yeah. think about. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. And you're gorgeous. So that's kind of crazy. <laughs> And, you know, and you could argue, like, I could even argue that maybe pageants would play a role in that, that you do put perfection on a pedestal. And um, it seems very unattainable. But I think through my experience, I learned that it can be authentic and it can be genuine. So I feel like as I move on in my career, and now that I do have that history of pageantry under my belt, I really try and be as genuine as I can because... I want to show people that it really doesn't matter in what way that you learn these life lessons on how to be self-confident. It just matters when you get it and then what you do with that. So it's like, I, I don't really want to be known as like a pageant girl. I just want to be known as someone that worked really hard, that had a dream, that didn't give up and that is now able to inspire others. And that stuff like really gets me going. Like I love speaking to girls before they compete for Miss California or before they do like a local pageant because I think it's important to remember that. Like it's easy to get wrapped up in the competition or in just the facade of it all and just forget like, why am I even doing this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, no, you're right. And you know what? I have a confession to make. I was in a pageant once. <laughs> you were? Oh my God, we're pageant girls. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like Miss California. I was the uh, 2001 Violet Festival Queen. Very hey, proud of it. Tell them that title, girl. You do that. <laughs> I was 17 years old. So by the way, I'll make sure we have pictures in the show notes. So oh my God, yes. I'm not lying. <laughs> and also I pulled out my crown and wore it today just for you. And I took a selfie. Oh so I, well, I took a couple of pictures. So <laughs> I'll share them on Instagram later. But Yay, you know, I love it. Ha- having been in a pageant, I always feel a little bit of a hypocrite when 
people ask me the question like, is a pageant good or bad for feminism? I'm always conflicted yeah. about whether pageants help or hurt feminism. But as a feminist, I think women should be free to choose to be in one if they want to. I mean, what do you think? You know, it's so funny. This is a crazy moment. That was my question the night that I ended up winning was what would I say to feminists who don't agree with pageantry? And I said that I thought it was really sad how women put other women down. And that's all I had to say. And the entire audience was just like, yeah, like clapping. Because it's true. Like, I know, and as like a feminist myself, like we work so hard to lift up women in whatever they choose. However, if it's something like a pageant or something that's maybe not as popular, then all of a sudden it's bad. And again, that's like I said, it's not fair to say, do whatever you want to do to make yourself feel confident, yet then you put down other women for choosing something that maybe they feel passionate about. You know, like yeah. there are women that I competed with that were maybe disabled, or there was a woman who competed last year at Miss California who was going through treatment for cancer. And it was her dream to compete in a pageant. So who is another woman to say, like, you shouldn't do that because it's hurting the world's view of women? I actually think it's giving women a stage to be able to voice their stories. And I think one thing that my dad especially taught me, because when I was Miss California, I was dating a guy who didn't agree with pageants. And he gave me a really tough time about why I was even doing this. And it was very hurtful and really hard to go through. But my dad told me, he said, Natasha, beauty is a gift from God. And you know why in today's world, it's beauty that attracts attention. It's what you do with that attention. If I was just being narcissistic and flaunting whatever physical attributes I had with no substance, that's completely different. But I think that people will find once they talk to the majority of pageant girls is that there's usually a story and heart behind why they're competing. Um, of course, you'll always find someone who maybe doesn't, maybe they just want popularity or social status or whatever. But I think that the number of women who do it for a purpose outnumber those other people who don't have a purpose. Absolutely. And I have to tell you that I agree with exactly what you're saying because I admire you for how you use your experiences in that pageant and in being Miss California to build your current path. In fact, when I met you, which was three and a half or whatever yeah. years ago, <laughs> I felt that energy in you. I was like, you know, this girl, she is a beauty queen, literally. But... <laughs> She has all the substance and she's amazing and she's smart and she has all these other things about her that I think is the reason why I really wanted to connect with you and continue to stay in touch with you. So I'm glad we did that. Thank you. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Thank so, you. That's like the best compliment. Thank absolutely. You. How did your media career begin? I got a job right out of college and it was like right about the time that I actually won Miss California as well. And I was just hosting for them. But the thing is, like, the station didn't really know what to do with me. And so I was basically just working there, getting a paycheck, but not really being creative. And I was so miserable. And I was like, Oh, no, I hope this isn't what like what the actual industry is like, because if this is it, like, I'm not going to be happy. So I decided to quit with no backup plan. And everyone was like, 
you shouldn't do that. You know, you're not being smart. But I, I don't know if you've ever had a job where you wait till the very last second to get out of your car to go into the building. <laughs> Girl, yes. Yes, <laughs> that was me. And I hated that. I, I was young. I was a college graduate. Like I shouldn't be experiencing that. So I ended up quitting. And then I randomly found a hosting audition on a casting website. And I went in and I read for it. And later that night, they called me and they're like, we'd love to offer you the position. And it turned out that that YouTube channel, which is interesting in itself, because like I wasn't going for like a TV job. It was a YouTube job. <laughs> and that YouTube channel was owned by a bigger digital media company that I then started working for. And then through that had some more eyeballs on me to get pulled to now have a show that's nationally syndicated and get pulled to do um, different projects like on the side or influencer opportunities. So it really was just about getting that one, like taking that leap of faith and quitting something that was not making me happy. And it opened up space in my life to do something else that ended up working out for me and giving me a lot more opportunities. That's fantastic. All of that just goes to show how far you can go when you have a platform and you can, you know, then jump and springboard into other things. But I really want to go into something else. You mentioned in the past that you are not fluent in Spanish. And I realize yeah. that's almost like an expectation of people in the U.S. Yeah. when when they're of Hispanic descent, right? I know in my family, we're constantly trying to get our nieces and nephews to learn Spanish. Uh, do yeah. you find that not being bilingual has held you back? Yes and no. I know Spanish, but I'm, I'm not comfortable speaking it fluently. I get really nervous. And then again, because I think everyone expects me to speak Spanish, they judge me even harder. <laughs> and, you know, I always got told, you should speak Spanish. It would be a lot easier for you to get jobs, you know, because it's like I look the part of like Latina TV report, right? <laughs> yes. They're like, oh, you'll it. get a job. Yeah, like you'll get a job at Univision like in a heartbeat. But I didn't want that path. I didn't want to be only in the Latin market. I wanted to be, you know, more broad. And I do wish I spoke Spanish because I think that I want to be able to carry on my culture in the future. But there have been times for shoots when like, okay, maybe Spanish would have been good to know. <laughs> but it's interesting because like you said, immediately when I tell people I'm not fluent, it's like breaking news. Like they're like, what? <laughs> but you're brown. Your last name is Martinez, like the Mexican version of Smith. How can you not speak Spanish? And I'm like, you guys, there are thousands of people out there like me who grew up with Latin culture and went to English speaking schools and are like sort of living in both worlds to make this awesome blend of perspective. And now you're bashing me for that because I don't speak Spanish. Like, what's up with that? No, I get it. I get it. And I have to say, and I have to admit that I've been in that boat where I have judged someone of Hispanic background who didn't speak Spanish because I do. And well, I was raised to believe that it's super important to be able to speak Spanish as well as yeah. English, obviously. So I have been in that position and I have judged and I feel bad about it now because as I've gotten to know different people uh, such as yourself, I understand that it doesn't always happen that way. And it's not the person's fault. And that's okay. Like just because you're a Latina or a uh, Latino doesn't mean that you have to speak Spanish. But obviously, I get it. It would be awesome. 
Now let's talk a little bit about how the media landscape has dramatically changed over the past 20 years. I remember, and I don't know how old you were back then, but I remember when JLo's On The Six came out and <laughs> I was like, do you remember that? No, I don't. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're younger than me. I just dated myself. I just totally dated myself. So when JLo's On The Six came out, I was like, yes. My friends will finally think I'm cool because J-Lo is. And we're both yeah. Latinas. So, I mean, that kind of makes me cool. So yeah. <laughs> back then, the representation was definitely lacking. And this was in the mid-90s. But now people get to produce and distribute their own content, which I think is part of the reason why we see more representation of our culture. Do you mm-hmm. feel like media representation of the Latinx culture today is uh, better or worse because of social media? Um, I won't say it's worse, but I, I still think that the first person that people think about when they think of Latinx uh, representation in media is JLo. That's what, uh, what everybody thinks. When they see me, it's like they're immediately like, oh, JLo. And I'm yeah. like, well, oh, I mean, not really. Like we're, we come from totally different backgrounds. You know, I may have like dyed my hair like similar, but like I think that there's different examples than JLo. So I think that now shows are just sort of opening their doors or again, like social media influencers, there's now digital platforms that are focused on Latinx culture. So I, I think it's better, but obviously it can still be better because sometimes you'll look at maybe a sitcom or even a news telecast and, you know, you see that they've chosen, you know, maybe a diverse cast, but still most of the time Latinos or Latinx are missing. And so I think that it's important to, again, be able to prove to big companies that are paying money that we are more than a stereotype or we're more than cultural hire. You know, it's like we are prominent voices today and we can look however many different shades of skin colors and we're still Latinos. Absolutely. And I've noticed that people have started to speak out more about that because there was for a long time this expectation that all Latinx people looked like someone such as J-Lo or maybe Mark Anthony. And that's what we see in the media. In fact, I don't know. Well, this probably hasn't happened to you because you just said yourself, people have approached you and said J-Lo or have maybe compared you to her. But for me, I have heard so many times people say to me, oh, you don't look Mexican. And so people have this misconception about what Latinx people look like, and they don't realize that we're of all colors, flavors, and shapes. So I think that it's really important to uh, encourage media to understand that the Latinx community is just super diverse in the way that we look, and we shouldn't just be represented by one uh, straight-haired, brown-skinned person. (laughs) I mean, let's just be real. Yeah, we don't all look like J-Lo or we don't all look like Selma Hayek. I, I swear, when people are like, who do people say you look like? I'm like, I don't know, whatever Latina star is out there. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, I could look nothing like them, but like, you give me those vibes. And I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. <laughs> but again, I do think that, that um, there's certain digital platforms, especially, I don't know if you've heard of Me Too. Yes. Um, yeah, so I feel like Me Too... I really like what they post because they'll always sort of bring up topics that 
I'm just like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Like they're opening doors within our culture, which I think is really cool. And, and I think it's relatable to, you know, everybody, not just people who share the same cultural background. Yeah, I've actually noticed that. And I've started to see that the Black Latinx community is finally starting to get more attention and being recognized for being Latinx and not being just black, like a lot of people used to just be cast, you know, as actors used to be cast in a black role, even though they were Latinx, because that's the expectation or stereotype that the industry has. Yeah, no, I, I get really excited when I when I see conversations about that, because it, it's important. Again, we don't just have one type. Like it could be somebody that you thought, you know, was from Eastern Europe, but they're like really from Argentina or something, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, tell me, how did your social media presence help you get to where you are today? I think it's helped because it gives me an opportunity to share my voice and share my excitement about what I'm doing and the people that I'm meeting and the stories that I'm getting to hear but really, it's a business tool. And I think that I caught on to that pretty quick. I started learning even before I was Miss California that I could use it in a way that was going to help me out professionally. You know, I sort of started to build it as if it was my online portfolio. It's like I have my resume, I have my reel, and I have my social media presence. And that's going to represent my professional career and a little bit of my personal life as well. I'm still trying to blend in more personal life because th that part is like kind of hard to let go of. You know, it's like there's certain things that I like to keep special and private. But I think now as social media is getting more popular, people want to see that because they, they want to relate more to that. So I try and force myself to kind of give more nuggets of information. Yeah, it's it's a struggle because you you know you want to balance. You don't want to also always be on social media. You want to experience life as it comes. Yeah. But that is so smart and so forward thinking of you that you were able to jump on that social media train, so to speak, and that you took advantage of it to help your career. Because I got to be honest with you, when social media first kind of became a thing back in like 2004, for example, when uh, yeah. Facebook came on the scene, I was in college. Again, I'm dating myself. And uh, I remember how for a long time, we used to, in my generation, I would say, or in my group of friends, we used to think that social media was something that we just did for fun. And you did not want to have anyone who was linked to you professionally look at your social media profile. It was like taboo because that's where you shared your life. And that's, you don't want that, right? You don't want anybody who might hire you to look at your social media profile. Now, People are using it to leverage their jobs and to get exactly. better, better careers and better opportunities. So it's a very different perspective. And I think that it's definitely changing. And I, I understand why you would have used it that way. And I think that's so smart. I don't think that I thought about it that way when I was in my 20s. And honestly, probably shouldn't have because we were a lot more lax about the things that we would post about. <laughs> now, I think people are a lot more aware that what goes on the internet lives forever. So <laughs> I'm interrupting this awesome episode to ask you a favor. Will you take a few seconds to leave a review? Tell me what other topics you would like to hear on the show. It takes less than 30 seconds to write a review and you can help change lives. Okay, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but that's the kind of impact that Diferente is all about. A brighter outlook, a different perspective, all of this can be life transforming. 
when I follow you on Instagram, your life looks super fun. But of course, we know that that's only like yeah. 50% of what's really happening. So what's something that we don't ever get to see on your feed? And how do you make time to do all your jobs and still take all those fabulous photos? Because I really want to know. <laughs> um, I mean, as far as like taking the photos, it's funny because I usually try and find the one person that gets it. Like they understand that all you need is one photo, but it may take like different angles and all these different things. And sometimes people can get annoyed with it, but I've found like my key friends who I can go to that will just take however many photos. Like my ratio is crazy. Like it's like one to maybe 20 like photos that I take. So it's a lot. But as far as like stuff that people wouldn't see, uh, I definitely don't share anything about family at all. Um, and not in like a, not because I'm trying to hide anything, but I think that family is so personal. Like, of course, I posted a photo of me and my mom, but there's some people that will literally be in like bed with their grandmothers and be like, I love my grandma. She just got out of the hospital or whatever. And like, that's great. And that's amazing. And I think that that's important to read on social media because there are people who are going through maybe family struggles that can read a caption like that and really find peace in it. And I think that that's cool that social media, again, allows you to hear those stories and to relate and hopefully give you hope in those moments. But for me personally, just the way that I deal with things like that is I'm just going to keep it to myself. Like that's not going to go up on there because like I want to be there hundred percent for my family and not feel like I'm, you know, using it for any sort of other reason. So I think family issues is something like I wouldn't really post about. And then I think just like the logistics of these like really fun shoots that I get to do or like celebrities that I get to meet. Like last night I went and I got to meet Taylor Swift. I saw that. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know. It's so crazy. I never, ever thought I would be able to meet her. Like she's like, she's like Beyonce level to me. And that was through a job that I got. And, you know, the whole idea was Natasha's going to experience this VIP treatment and she's going to meet Taylor Swift and it's going to be great. And, you know, I'm like so excited for this, for this day. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is like, I'm getting paid for this. And like, I get to sit in the second row for free and meet Taylor Swift. Like, what is this? What's going on? However, the ironic thing was, is that once we were done with the shoot, me and the producer were laughing because we said, well, this shoot was supposed to be about your VIP experience, but I actually experienced the complete opposite. Like getting, wow. <laughs> I almost didn't meet Taylor Swift because just nobody knew where we were going. Like I was walking everywhere, running in heels, scarfing down a pizza before like going to meet her. Like I was pretty much like sweating before like going backstage. Then I was supposed to meet Camila Cabello as well. And then that went like off, you know, that didn't happen. It was just <laughs> wow. like the longest then like leaving the venue, just getting to, we ended up walking, I would say like at least five miles to try and get an Uber in at heels? the end of the night in heels in oh, midnight no. in Pasadena, up and down hills, like on the side of the freeway, just to get to our Uber, just so I can come home. And I was just laughing because it's so true. Like we were, <laughs> we were like the VIP guests that snuck in. Like <laughs> we were not really supposed to be there. Um, so, I mean, that in itself is pretty funny. And like, I'm sure you'll see some of it whenever that project goes up. But 
that wasn't on my Instagram story. That wasn't on, on my page. Like it was just me like, yay, like I'm second Um But there, I do think that there's certain influencers or public figures that will share that. And I think that that's super cool and like great. But for me personally, I like my, my Instagram's a little, a little polished. Um, and so I think that just because I've been doing that sort of theme for that long, that I'm going to keep it that way <laughs> until I feel more comfortable, you know? How do you manage your time with Instagram? Do you find that you end up spending a lot of time on Instagram and you have to kind of like cut yourself off? Or do you have a way to deal with that in a more balanced way? I really just try and especially if I'm with other people, I'll just put my phone away. You know, like I'll get my little posts in and then I'll save it. Like I don't post it immediately. I'll save all my things. And then maybe when I'm in bed at night, like before I'm falling asleep, then I'll post everything like all at once. So that that way it's like, okay, I took my picture. I took my video that I wanted. Now I'm going to put my phone away and I'm just going to like enjoy it. Yeah. And, but that's that's not all the time. Of course, like yesterday, gosh, I was on my phone, like during the whole concert, but <laughs> that was different. But there's certain times when I think you can, you just save the video. You don't have to post it right now. It's not that timely. You can just enjoy the company that you're with and the experience and then do it when you're in the Uber drive home or do it when you're laying in bed before going to sleep. Right. What, what strategies do you apply to engage with and grow your audience? strategies, I would say, I know for me, like the composition of the photo is really important. So lighting is everything and making sure that I'm like a stickler about everything sort of being symmetrical. Like I like a middle focus and um, I like it to be clear. And I can, I can almost tell when I have a photo that's maybe like I'm with some, somebody cool or I'm at like a cool place, but maybe it's not centered and maybe it's not exactly like the brightest photo. I know it's not going to be as engaging as other ones. Like I did an interview with Ty Dolla Sign maybe a couple months ago. And, you know, for a lot of my followers who follow me from Complex, he's like a very popular hip hop artist. So you would think like, oh, this is cool. People are going to like this. They're going to engage in it. They're going to be interested in the interview. I saw well, that. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> My fan. <laughs> um, but the lighting wasn't good. And the background was kind of like ugly. And, you know, it was cute. Like I was interacting with him. But nobody really like that was like a pretty low engaging photo. So I think like I'm just talking about aesthetics here. Another tip that I've learned is you should always look at the corners of your photo and make sure they're like clear, like there's nothing like blocking that corner um, because it's just more visually appealing. So there's like different like tricks for just composition of your photo which is so crazy that we do have like something that was intended to be fun can be that broken down into yeah. and um just like dissected in order for like likes and engagement which is just I mean that's a whole other like philosophical conversation that we can have <laughs> another day but, absolutely yeah another day but um so in terms of using my voice on social media to be able to like engage my followers more. I do feel like because I was lucky to have good upbringing and a good support system and still to this day have like an amazing support system through my family and my friends that it's important for me to sort of share that because we are living in a world that 
that doesn't happen all the time. Or you like watch the news and it's another school shooting or it's some crazy thing that our president has said. And there's not a lot of positivity out there. And I try and share that positivity in a way that's maybe not like, look at me, I'm doing cool things. Like I'm so lucky. Like I want people to be able to feel, I guess, inspired through positivity if that makes any sense you know like that makes sense one glimpse of of like oh okay like life is fun and like it's not so serious and like we can have a good time and we can enjoy like certain things that we're doing and sort of have that break I guess from so how do you balance between having this positive message always on your social media and how do you keep yourself from not having too strong of an opinion? Because, you know, you're right. Your Instagram feed is pretty positive, but also very kind of balanced. And I struggle with that because I definitely have some opinions, girl. How do you keep yourself from not interacting in that way or having strong opinions that, I I don't know, are you afraid to have strong opinions on social media? Is that not your thing? It is scary to have a strong opinion on social media because you could literally say, I walked my dog today and someone will come back with, I hate dogs and you should hate them too. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, So it is hard to navigate that, but I don't, that's not the reason why I don't share it. I think I don't want to be inaccurate, you know? And I think that there's definitely a lot of like studying that I should be doing before I'm able to like put my opinion out there because I think we already have a lot of unintelligent opinions that are out there. And I'm not calling myself unintelligent, but I'm very careful about if I'm going to speak on something, I better one, know my facts and I better be passionate about it. Because I think that that is the problem with a lot of online bullying and a lot of trolling that goes on is that people don't know the facts and like the emotions take over it. And then of course you turn that around and we're reading it through a screen and we're not seeing people face to face and we're reading it in our own tones. And then we get our feelings hurt by it. And then we go and then it just breathes this negative energy. And so personally, I choose to share my strong opinions. It's not that I don't have opinions on things. It's that I'm sharing it with people face to face Mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm talking to them about it. And there have been like times when, like, I'll never forget when I did, um, when I did Miss USA, when I was Miss California, that was right when Donald Trump was calling Mexicans rapists and drug dealers and all of those absurd things that he was saying. And people wanted me to drop out of the pageant. And they were like, there's no way that you can represent as a Mexican. Like you can't represent us at Miss USA if, if Donald Trump is the owner of that, that pageant. And it was a crazy time because again, like I told you, I competed for Miss California for four years. Like this was my dream. I had worked hard. I had, I had spent money. I had studied. I had you know, done everything that I could to become this best version of myself. And I was not going to let a man with a microphone (laughs) to take my dream away. I wasn't going to give that to him. And so it was my opinion that I wanted to represent Latinos and immigrants as a daughter of an immigrant by showing up to that competition and perhaps maybe having a microphone and having a spot on television to tell people like Donald Trump who maybe agreed with him that actually you're wrong. 
And I wasn't going to be able to do that if I didn't compete in Miss USA. I wasn't going to be able to do that if I wasn't being interviewed by every single national outlet that there was telling them my opinion and telling them, you know, my story. Yet, even though I got positive response from, you know, these interviews that I was doing and people were like really responsive to my view and my choice, I got a lot of people on Twitter telling me like, you're a disgrace as a Mexican. Like you, you should take your last name away. Like I hate you, this and that. It's just so many hateful things. And again, it's because their perspective was coming from maybe a headline that they read online. And it's like, they're just so upset and so angry that they think that they can fight that with anger. I did a post about Latina equal pay day. And I can't tell you how many hateful comments that I had. And that was hard for me to just, because I didn't know a lot about the statistics, but I went to an event and I learned. And that's the thing. I think people aren't learning what's behind a lot of these movements. And then they just sort of jump to conclusions. And it, I, it was important for me before I shared that post that I went and I learned about what the statistics were. And, um, and that made me comfortable to share it. But even still, I faced backlash. And the thing is, you're always going to face backlash again. Like it could be about any subject. But it's about if you know what you're talking about and you know the facts and you you have the heart there, then that's what's going to help you, I guess, overcome that sinking feeling when you read something absolutely hateful and terrible about yourself when you, all you wanted was just something like positive out there. So I think that's probably why I choose my battles wisely is because like I just want to Basically, I want to choose my battles wisely and I want to be putting the right information and I want to be coming from the right space because there's way too much. There's way too many people out there that are giving their opinions without anything backing it up, (laughs) except for anger and emotion. (laughs) Yeah. And I understand what I understand your perspective on that. Absolutely. So being in the public eye and having opinions sometimes causes backlash, like you said, what's the worst thing that you had to deal with or have you had to deal with trolling or hateful things on social media? I think the Miss USA thing was really hurtful. Like I I won't lie. Like I got very upset about it and I was emotional about it because again, I'm like, this is unfair that because of somebody's ignorant comments that, you know, now my dream is being compromised, but you know what? That's just real life. That's that's how it happens. I do it with a lot of um, like sexist comments, of course, and like inappropriate things, especially because like a lot of the audience for some of the platforms that I work on are young males. And I mean, if you go if you go to a comment section in any one of my videos, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I mean, it's crazy. Like some of these things that these kids are saying, or uh, maybe they're not even kids. Maybe they're like adults behind their computer screen, but. Um, you know, I think just for me, I have to, I have to remember that it is, they are just behind their computer screen. And that is why they feel comfortable to say these things. Like, I'm sure if they saw me in person, they would not tell me a lot of these like vulgar, vulgar comments that I will not repeat to my face. Like they just won't do it. But again, like back to pageantry, I trained myself to sort of have that tunnel vision and to not really think about what other people were saying. I won't lie. Like it does get to me every now and again, but I think that because I've trained like that emotional muscle enough that I'm able to be like, you know what? Forget that. They're just a hater or they're just this. And that's fine. Like you guys think what you want to think. Like I know who I am. 
I have my family knows who I am. My friends know who I am. That's all that matters. I love that term, your emotional muscles. I think I need to work on that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But before we wrap up, I have two very important questions for you. Number one, what are you passionate about? And number two, what is your purpose? Well, I'm really passionate about, and we like touched on this earlier in the interview, I'm really passionate about just sharing my struggles with young women. And I have done that through speaking at different events that usually are pageant related. And I get such a good energy from sharing my story and being able to talk about the things that I've done since to a group of women who are being very courageous and putting themselves in a vulnerable position of, I guess, being judged, right? Or being put in a position where they've worked hard or it's just, it's hard to do a pageant or it's hard to do anything. It's hard to audition for anything. And, you know, I know their nerves are there and they're maybe feeling insecure. And so I, I feel passionate about letting them know like, Hey, I was in your seat before, and this is how I did it. And if I can help you in any way, like I will, like I'll usually give those girls my numbers you know, and I'm like, text me if you have any questions, you know, like, let's meet up for coffee. Like I met with this girl that reached out to me on Instagram. She's like, I'm, I'm graduating this year. And like, I don't know what to do. Can like we talk? And we met at like a local coffee shop here in LA. And we just talked for like a couple of hours. And she graduated this past weekend. And I'm like, you go girl, like she was already on her path to success. I didn't really teach her anything new. I just sort of helped her feel a little bit more confident about where she was in her life. So she can know, like, you don't have to have everything figured out now. It's a, everything's a work in progress. Even when you get your dream job, you're still going to work to keep it mm-hmm. or to elevate. And so I really like to to talk to young women about that. It really, like, gets me going and, and, and inspires me when I, when I talk to them as well. It helps me work harder. And again, I think my purpose is ugh, such a difficult question. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. It's like, it's so hard. I think my number one purpose, of course, is like we said, again, like making my family proud um, and doing what I can for my future family. Because I had such a strong family bond growing up, like I want to provide that to my kids and I want to do the best that I can. And in the end, I could lose, I could lose everything that I have now, but as long as I have my family, like that's all that matters. Like I could maybe be in an accident or something can happen where maybe I can't make money the way that I'm making money now and I have to find something else. But as long as I have like my family, like that's important. And I think that it's important for me to always portray that as well and to remind people that family is so special. And even if it's not blood related, even if it's people that like a family that you were adopted into or foster care or even friends, I have friends that I consider sisters, but those bonds is what's going to help you get through life. And I think that a lot of the times in media or in whatever we see on our screens, you don't really have that portrayal like the way you used to, like those values are like not really there anymore. And so I think that I try my best to be able to remind people of that. And so hopefully I can continue to do that wherever I go in life, even if I'm not on TV. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's absolutely a great way to look at it. Can you share with us your social media handles so people can follow you? Why, yes, I can. Um, They can all follow me at Natasha Lexis underscore. 
on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. And I believe YouTube, it's Natasha Alexis Martinez. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again for chatting with me. This has been amazing. And again, just showing me how great you are and why we are friends. (laughs) (laughs) The same goes for you, honey. I hope you've been able to learn something from Natasha's story. Her drive and positive energy are definitely contagious. We might not all want to be beauty queens, but I'm pretty sure most people want to be confident and have the opportunity to build themselves up on their own terms. If we only take one thing away from today, I hope it is that we have the power to decide how we see ourselves and how we want to show that to the world. I know I have my own weird relationship with confidence, but that's a story for another time. For now, keep your chin up and practice your winning smile. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.